Welcome to the Book of Mormon. This is Dr. D. Todd Harrison, your instructor today. I appreciate you logging in this week as we continue our Book of Mormon class following the curriculum of the uh, LDS Church uh, Sunday School program this year of the uh, Come Follow Me through Book of Mormon. And I testify to you that as you will continue to join with us and continue to study the words of Jesus Christ as found in the Book of Mormon, that God will greatly bless you in your lives. You will find a greater happiness than you have ever experienced before as you take these words to heart, study them, invite God's Spirit to join you in your lives. And I testify to you that Jesus is our Lord, our God, and our King, that He rose from the dead, and that He reigns supreme over the universe to this day. I testify that Joseph Smith was God's instrument in bringing forth and, trans and translating the Book of Mormon so that we now have another witness of Jesus Christ. So that the Book of Mormon, together with the Bible, combined together in fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 to bear witness of Jesus Christ. For all we desire to do in our lives is to teach of Jesus Christ, to study of Jesus Christ, and to walk according to his teachings. And if we so do so as the Book of Mormon teaches, as well as the Bible, as we come unto Jesus Christ, we will be saved by God. And I testify of these things, and we will move forward now with reading in the Book of Mormon. This week we will be looking at 2 Nephi, chapter 6 through 10. Uh, here we have Jacob, uh, the youngest, uh, uh, Jacob, a younger brother of Nephi, uh, teaching the people. Nephi's given him assignment to read to them the words of Isaiah from a couple of chapters of Isaiah and to explain them to the Nephite uh, civilization. And so let's look first at 2 Nephi chapter 6 and we will look at verse 3. And again it's helpful to have the Book of Mormon with you. Ideally uh, you know you could have the uh, hard copy but if you need the electronic copy you can go to lds.org or churchofjesuschrist.org, and you can find a copy there. It will be much more enjoyable uh, if you will read along with us as we study these great words. And so in 2 Nephi, here in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 3, he says, Nevertheless, I speak unto you again, for I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. And that's a true pastor of religion. A true pastor's of religion want are worried about the welfare of the souls of their uh, of their uh, congregation. They're not there to make money. They're not there to build up worldly praise and worldly fame. But they truly desire the welfare of their congregation's souls, and that's the kind of true pastor of Jesus Christ. Yea, mine anxiety is great for you, and ye yourselves know that it has ever been. That's always been his concern, has been the welfare of their souls. For I have exhorted you with all diligence, and I have taught you the words of my Father. And I have spoken unto you concerning all things which are written from the, foundation, from the creation of the world. God has once again, throughout history, always given commandments to study the creation of the world, so that you know that God is the one that's over the creation, that he is the... Almighty God. Uh, he was powerful enough to bring the world into creation. That's why Genesis starts off with the creation in, in the Old Testament. In the Bible, it, it starts with the creation. That's why we hear about the creation in the Book of Mormon. That's why we hear about the creation in the Pearl Great Price. It's always about that. We hear about it in the, the Temple Endowment. And I have taught you the words of my Father. What do true uh, pastors of Jesus Christ, true teachers of Jesus Christ do? They teach the words of the holy prophets. So as Lehi was a prophet, Jacob is teaching the words of his father, Lehi the prophet. And I have spoken to you concerning all things which are written from the creation of the world. And now let's look at uh, the, the next few verses. He's now going to talk about the return of the Jews. That, uh, you know, he's going to read to him Isaiah. And that the Jews are going to be... Uh, scattered uh, throughout the world but they're going to be gathered back together in the last days and of course we see that in 1948 uh, to here at the end of verse 6 
Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And in verse 7, And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall know that they shall bow down to thee with their faces towards the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And as in 1948, the United States and Great Britain started the return of the Jews, and the homeland of the Jews, and the Jews have been returning back to Israel from throughout the world as they were been scattered, as they've been scattered over, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. Now let's look at verse 9 through 11. Nevertheless, the Lord has shown unto me that they should return again. And he has also shown unto me that the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. Remember in the Bible, it, it, it talks about in the, in the New Testament that, you know, that one of the heresies of the, uh, as the church started to go apostate and the truth was starting to uh, be corrupted by the early uh, church, that uh, one of the uh, corruptible, uh, uh, most corrupt things they were teaching was that Jesus Christ didn't really come in the flesh. That Jesus Christ was, was uh, just some phantom, uh, some spirit that came to the earth, but he never took on flesh. This is the Gnostics, for example, that you've heard about. But here, uh, Jacob is talking about that the Holy One of Israel would manifest himself unto them in the flesh. And after he should manifest himself, what will they do? They will scourge him and crucify him. And according to the words of the angel, which spake it unto me. So, was that fulfilled? Yes, indeed. We read about that in the New Testament. That Jesus was scourged and crucified uh, by the, uh, the uh, leaders of the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin and by the Roman leaders in the ancient land of Palestine. And after they had hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel, behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel should come upon them, and the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted. And did we see a fulfillment of that? Yes, what happened in the, in the 60, 68 to 73 A.D., the Jewish rebellion against Rome. And Rome came in, conquered the, the people, destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, uh, Herod's temple. And, uh, you know, and, and so this was indeed happened. And then the final time was the Bar Kochba revolt, 132 to 135, when the Jews were then banished from the, the, from the, the Jerusalem, you know, for the next 2,000 years. And he says here in verse 11, Wherefore, after they are driven to and fro, for thus saith the angel, many shall be afflicted in the flesh, and shall not be suffered to perish because of the prayers of the faithful. They shall be scattered and smitten and hated. Nevertheless, the Lord shall be merciful unto them, that when they come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance. So as they came to the knowledge of the Redeemer, they start to come back to the lands of their inheritance. So not saying that they join the church right away, but saying that as they hear about the name of Jesus Christ, they show. And that, and that has literally been fulfilled in our uh, own lifetimes for, for some of us um, uh, uh, in here. Okay, now uh, let's look here at verse 13. Wherefore they that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet. And the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed, for the people of the Lord are they who wait for him. For they, for they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. How do you know who's a true Christian? Those who are waiting for Jesus Christ. Waiting for Jesus Christ to do what? For Jesus Christ to fulfill his promise that he made in the New Testament, that he shall come back to earth to reign as King of Kings, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords during the 1,000 years of the millennium reign. And so the true people of God, true Christians, are the people who wait for Jesus to come back for this millennium reign. Now let's look at verse 14 through 15. 
And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Wherefore he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies. When that day cometh, when they shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him. How do you want to make sure that you don't get destroyed? You need to believe in Jesus Christ. He's talking here about when he comes in great glory. We know from the prophecies of the Old Testament that prior to Jesus' second coming, all nations will be gathered together to fight against the people of Israel. When this happens, Jesus will descend in glory from the heavens. He will land on the mount there in Jerusalem. And the mount will separate, the Mount of Olives will separate into two. It will be such a powerful experience here as Jesus comes to save the Jewish people. We know from the prophecies in the book of Zechariah and the Doctrine and Covenants that when this happens, they're going to say, But Lord, you, Lord, you finally came. But Lord, what are these marks and wounds in your hands and in your feet? As they see the, the nail prints from the crucifixion. And he'll say to them, These are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. I am Jesus Christ. I am the Lord God. I am he whom your fathers crucified. And then it says, They shall weep and wail, for they crucified their king. So that's what we're talking about here. Now in, um, in verse 15, And they that believe not in him shall be destroyed, both by fire and by tempest, and by earthquakes, and by bloodsheds, and by pestilence, and by famine. And they shall know that the Lord is God, the Holy One of Israel. We read about this in the book of Revelation. That uh, as part of the second coming of Christ, they're all, you know, we're going to have these famines and bloodsheds and, and tempests and destroy off all the wicked. Remember, you've got to be living at least a terrestrial kingdom law when Christ comes back in order to be saved. Or is gonna, the, the earth is going to be uh, smitten and destroyed by fire and transformed into a terrestrial glory. As the earth was flooded by the flood in Noah's time, it was through baptism. It's going to be baptized by fire and by the Holy Ghost as it goes through future transitional states on its way to becoming the celestial kingdom and our habitation for those who make it to celestial glory. Okay, uh, now let's look at uh, chapter 7. And here we're going to uh, quote from Isaiah chapter 50. So Second uh, Nephi chapter 7 is quoting Isaiah 50 once again, not the Masoretic text. Not the uh, uh, one that went into the King James uh, translation, but we're dealing with a translation of Isaiah from the brass plates dating to 600 uh, B.C. at the latest. And we know that the Greek Septuagint uh, from the 3rd century B.C. Is, is pretty close to what we read in the 600 um, uh, B.C. brass plates. 7 verse 1. Yea, for thus saith the Lord, have I put thee away? He's, uh, Lord's talking to the people of Israel. Or have I cast thee off forever? For thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? I have not left you, right? I have not divorced you. And under the Mosaic law, uh, if you want to divorce your wife, you just give a bill of divorcement. God's here saying, I, you know, where's the bill of your mother's divorcement? I haven't done that, right? To whom have I put thee away? Or to which of my creditors have I sold you? Obviously God has no creditors. There's no creditors. He could sell the people of Israel too. Yea, to whom have I sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves. And for your transgressions is your mother put away. Christ in the book of Revelation is standing at the door knocking. All we have to do is open the door, let him into our lives. But what happens? God doesn't step away from you. You separate from God. He's saying here, you've sold yourselves. you sold yourselves. You've led yourselves into uh, breaking the commandments, uh, into inactivity from God's plan for your life. And verse 2, Wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, yea, there was none to answer. O house of Israel, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? 
And then he starts talking about how he dried up the sea and let the Israelites go through on dry ground and then brought the sea back together to drown the Egyptian soldier, soldiers who were pursuing them. And he's talking about these types of things here in verse 2. Uh, in verse uh, 4, now we get some messianic prophecy. When we talk about messianic prophecy, we're talking about prophecies in the Old Testament that would fit the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament, but there's these scriptures that refer to him and refer to his forthcoming life as we read in the New Testament. So then by reading the New Testament, we can understand the prophecies of the Old Testament and understand how they were fulfilled in Jesus' life. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. Remember they were the people in the, in the, Galilee, in the Galilee area, when Jesus would speak in their synagogues, they were amazed. Where did this man get this learning from? Is he not the carpenter's son, they would say? So God gave Jesus the tongue of the learned. That I should, and also we read in the New Testament that Jesus, when he was 12 years old, is in the, you know, his parents find him in the temple teaching uh, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish, uh, you know, doctors of the law, you know, those who had, uh, you know, ancient PhDs in, uh, in religious uh, studies. He was teaching them as a 12-year-old boy. He clearly had the tongue of the learned. That I should know how to speak a word in season unto thee, O house of Israel. When ye are weary, he maketh morning by morning. He waketh my ear to hear as the learned. Verse 5. The Lord God hath opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. We read in the New Testament that Jesus foreseeing what was going to happen to him, that he was going to be nailed to a cross, that he was going to be spit upon, beaten, mocked, and then crucified. He prayed to his heavenly Father three times, let this, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus never did turn away back. He fulfilled his Father's plan for his life as he brought redemption and the offer of salvation to all of us. In verse 6, Therefore, because he didn't turn back, I gave my back to the smitter, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. You know, remember they in the trial. They spit on him. They mocked him. They put a, a thorn, uh, you know, a, a crown of thorns into his head and made him bleed from his head. They did all manner of horrible things to him. As fulfillment here of Isaiah chapter 50 or 2 Nephi chapter 7. And so that's what we want to look at here in chapter 7. Now we're going to move over to, uh, in chapter 8, they look at Isaiah chapter 51. Again, talking about how they'll gather Israel in the latter days. So we've seen that multiple times over the last couple of weeks. So we, I think we, it, for your homework assignment, you can obviously read um, uh, chapter 8. And that would be good beneficial reading for all. Uh, but uh, we're going to move now to chapter 9. Now chapter 9 is one of the greatest treatises on the atonement in all of Holy uh, Scripture. There's really nothing comparable to it. The whole thing is, is just so great about the atonement. Far greater uh, uh, knowledge about the atonement here than anything found in the biblical record. And it's more clear, more simple so that mankind can understand it. That's one of the great things about the Book of Mormons. It takes difficult concepts and makes it so simple that the average person off the street can really understand the plan of salvation that God has set forth uh, for us. Chapter 9, verse 2. That he has spoken unto the Jews by the mouth of his holy prophets, even from the beginning down, from generation to generation. All prophets testified before Jesus Christ the same things, that Jesus would come forth at the due time of the Lord to redeem mankind from the fall of Adam. Until time comes that they shall be redeemed to the true church and fold of God. So this was always promised too, that as the church would go into apostasy, and the New Testament is very clear in all kinds of scriptures about the church falling into apostasy, that in the latter days the church would be restored as the angel in the in book of Revelation 
14.6 going to come bring another gospel back to the earth. The angel flying through the midst of heaven bringing the everlasting gospel back to the earth as the woman in chapter 12, verse 6, had, had fled for the space of 1,860 uh, years. Uh, and So that's what we're talking about here. And that the Jewish people, notice this, the Jewish people shall be gathered, uh, so, so be restored to the true church and fold of God. And then when they shall be gathered home to the hands of, lands of their inheritance, and they shall be established in all their lands of promise. You know, we're, we will yet see this. This is the prophecy yet to be fulfilled. At uh, one point in time, the Jewish people would begin to be restored to the true church of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at verse 5. No, uh, verse 4 and 5. For I know that ye have searched much, many of you, to know of things to come. Wherefore I know that ye know that our flesh must waste away and die. Nevertheless, in our bodies we shall see God. We will all be resurrected. That's the gift of the atonement of Jesus Christ. We will all be resurrected. The only question is, what's going to happen to you? And uh, your own fate is in your own hands. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve is what the scriptures teach in Joshua. So we need to obey God and keep his commandments so we can receive the celestial uh, glory. In verse uh, 5, Yea, I know that ye know that in the body he shall sow himself unto those of Jerusalem, from whence we came, for it is expedient that it should be among them. For it behooveth the great creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto the flesh unto men in the flesh, and die for all men, that all men might become subject to him. And that's the whole theme, remember, in the book of John, that as Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he draws all mankind unto him. That's the very theme, major theme of the Gospel of John, is this lifting up. His hour has not yet come, and which he shall be lifted up. And then in the end of John, he is lifted up to draw all mankind unto him. That's the whole, what the book of John is about. Okay, so now let's look here at verses 7. and Wherefore it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore the first judgment which came upon men must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. But the great wisdom of God and his mercy and grace that he brought forth Jesus Christ for this atonement. Because if not, in verse 9, and our spirits must have become likened to him, to Satan, to the devil. And, be, and we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God. The penalty of the breaking the law is death. Once you broke a commandment, penalty was death. It was by Jesus Christ that he's allowed us now to be able to uh, repent of our sins and to come unto him. The presence of God remained the father of lies and misery like unto himself, yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents and so forth. Oh, how great, in verse 10, the goodness of our God who prepareth a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster. So by providing Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, uh, has, uh, through Jesus Christ, has done away with this, has allowed us to escape from death and hell, which I call the death of the body and also the death of the spirit. Had it not been for Jesus Christ, we wouldn't, there would have been no resurrection. If Jesus didn't first raise from the dead, rise from the dead, there would have been no resurrection. So we would have been subject to death forever. And we would have had the spiritual death too, because once we sinned, we would have fallen short of the glory of God, and we would have been uh, punished accordingly. But through Jesus Christ, we get both the spiritual life and life of the resurrected body. Now we want to read in verse uh, 12. And this death of which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead, which spiritual death is hell. Wherefore death and hell must deliver up their dead. And hell must deliver up its captive spirits. 
and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies. And the bodies and the spirits of man will be restored one to the other. And it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Oh, how great the plan of our God. He loves how they keep praising God. I mean, this is really glorious, a glorious message, uh, the plan of salvation. Oh, how great the plan of our God. For on the, on the other hand, the paradise of God must deliver up the spirits of the righteous, and the grave deliver up the body of the righteous. And the spirit and the body is restored to itself again, and all men become incorruptible and immortal. And they are living souls, having a perfect knowledge like unto us in the flesh, save it shall be that our knowledge shall be perfect. And so you have both hell and, and paradise, right? And what we're talking about here in these verses too. So when you die, there's, the, you, you, there's only two possibilities at that immediate point. If you were wicked, you go to hell. If, you go, if you're righteous, you go to paradise. In both places, you await the day of judgment and the resurrection. Uh, you are then resurrected and you're judged accordingly to your works, whether you were good or evil, whether you repented of your sins, whether you accepted ba you know, uh, baptism, uh, whether on this earth or as in the spirit world, uh, in paradise or hell, uh, as the missionary, as faithful members of the church get baptized for you, then by proxy you can accept that baptism and be rescued from the spiritual death and hell. Okay, so now let's look over here at, um, let's look at verse 17 here. And, and verse 15. 15. And it shall come to pass that when all men have passed from this first death, first death unto life, inasmuch as they have become immortal, they must appear before the judgment seat of the Holy One of Israel. That's also part of the atonement. That we all go back to God's presence to be judged according to our works. All mankind will return to the presence of God. The only question is whether you can stay there or not. And that was based on your own, own determination and your decision whether you wanted to keep his covenants and his commandments or not. And then cometh the judgment. And then they must be judged according to the holy judgment of God. And as surely as the Lord liveth, for the Lord God has spoken it, and it is, and it is his eternal word, which cannot pass away, that they who are righteous shall be righteous still. And they who are filthy should be filthy still. And then it talks about Satan being cast away into the lake of fire and brimstone, which we also get in the book of Revelation. And uh, so once again, they praise God. Oh, the greatness and justice of our God. Every time they talk about it, you know, it sounds horrifying uh, to the wicked. But it's such a great glorious plan to the righteous. So they're always praising him over and over again. But behold, the righteousness... The saints of the Holy One of Israel, they who have believed in the Holy One of Israel, they who have endured the crosses of the world and despised the shame of it, they shall inherit the kingdom of God, which was prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and their joy shall be full forever. How do you want to have a fullness of joy forever? Wouldn't that not be the greatest thing in the world? Well, all you got to do is keep the commandments of God. The commandments of God make you happy. They don't make you sad and miserable. That's when you break the commandments. Because you have this light and this consciousness, this light of Christ, which is given to all mankind born into the world. The world knows it as conscience. Everybody knows right from wrong and what they should do. Nobody thinks it's okay to murder, to commit adultery, to steal, to rob, all these sort of things. Everybody already knows that those things are wrong. Therefore, if you break the commandments, you feel guilty. Because you know you did against that which is right or correct. And therefore, you feel guilty and, and you feel miserable about it. The, the righteous who keep the commandments of God know that they are abiding by the law. That they're doing the right things. And therefore, they feel a, a great fullness of joy. In, in verse 20. Oh, how great the holiness of our God. So again, praising God. For he knoweth all things, and there is not anything save he knows it. Right? God knows all things. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's all-knowing. He's, uh, he knows everything. From the well, he didn't come just to save the Jewish people, but he came to make salvation to everyone. When 
Jesus rose from the dead in Matthew, in Matthew 28. He told his disciples what? Go ye therefore and teach and baptize all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always till the end of the world. That's who God gave salvation available to anyone. But they have to want to. There's a lot of people in this world who don't want to be saved for some reason. I don't understand it. I've studied psychology. I don't understand why some people just absolutely refuse to be saved. Why they would rather live miserable existence, knowing that they're in open rebellion against God. You know, rather than feeling happy, knowing that they're fulfilling God's will for their life. But there are people that just flatly, are, there's going to always be people that just for some reason flatly reject God and don't want anything nice in their lives. They don't want to have happiness and joy. They don't want to have God in their lives. They don't want to accept Jesus as their Savior. You know. But I testify that if you will accept Jesus and repent of your sins, He will greatly bless you with this happiness that they keep talking about in the Book of Mormon. Okay, so now he starts to talk about in verse 28. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of man. When they are learned, they think they are wise. And they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. In verse 29, but to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. So it's a good thing to to learn things. But you have to stay humble. You have to stay submitting your life to God. Otherwise it profiteth you nothing. You can know a lot of things. It does you no good if you don't humble yourselves before God. Okay, and now we start to talk about here in uh, verse um, uh, verse 31. And he talks about the people who just again re just reject, just don't want to hear the gospel. And woe unto the deaf that will not hear, for they shall perish. So if you're deaf to the gospel message and you don't want to listen, you're going to perish. 32. Woe unto the blind that will not see, for they shall perish also. So if you refuse to read the Book of Mormon, you refuse to read the Bible, you refuse to study the things of God, you will perish, as it says here. The Book of Mormon so... So hard on people, I know, but it's, it's they keep trying to tell you Nephi and Jacob and everything. They want you to awake and arise and, and wake up from the slumber of sleep and, and uh, understand the importance. They're trying to just bang this into your heads to understand the importance of keeping the commandments of God and of studying Him and seeking after Him and inviting Him into your lives. Uh, and 34, this has always been a fun one. Woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about, you know, that God hateth a, a lying tongue. You know, it's the one thing that God, you know, Jesus said, you know, swear not by heaven or by earth. You know, he wanted your yea to be yea and your nay, nay. You know, no lies, you know. But in this society today, it seems to me that people think that kind of lying is acceptable. And they tell lies and excuses for for everything in their lives. We should not be like that, as it says here. And then he says here in verse 37, Yea, woe unto those that worship idols, for the devil of all devils delighteth in them. Those who are worshiping uh, idols and statues uh, rather than the living God. It says that the devil delighteth in them, because the devil's laughing at, at those who, you know, are misguided and those who don't have knowledge of the living God. He doesn't want them to worship the living God. So if he sees them worshiping idols, he's very happy about it, as it says here. Okay, now let's look here at uh, chapter um, uh, 40, 41 here. Let's look at 41. Oh, no, verse 40 here. So back to what we were just saying a minute ago. Oh, my beloved brethren, give ear to my words. Remember the greatness of the Holy One of Israel. Do not say that I have spoken hard things against you. For if ye do, ye will revile against the truth. For I have spoken the words of your Maker. I know that the words of truth are hard against all uncleanness. 
But the righteous fear them not, for they love the truth and are not shaken. So the righteous love to hear this kind of thing. The wicked, this really steers, uh, steers them up to anger, you know. They don't like to hear, hear this because they have the guilty conscience. They know that they're not uh, good. They know they're not righteous. And so therefore, if they're being wicked and someone tells them they're wicked, it offends them. It makes them so angry. And they look to fight against the church. They look to fight against Jesus Christ. In verse 41, O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. It goes down here, and, uh, and he employed no servant there. And there is none other way save it be by the gate. You have to pass through the gate. Jesus is the gatekeeper. You cannot fool him. He knows whether you are righteous or wicked. For he cannot be deceived. For the Lord God is his name. And, and whoso knocketh, to him will he open. And the wise, and the learned, and they that are rich, who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom. And the riches, yea, they whom are they whom he despiseth. And save they shall cast these things away, and consider themselves fools to be humble before God. And come down in the depths of humility. He will not open unto them. He's the gatekeeper. He's not going to open to you. Unless you come unto him and submit yourselves to him. And be humble. Despite whatever you may have attained in earth life. No matter how many titles are behind your name. No matter how much money you have. And uh, But the things of the wise and the prudent shall be hid from them forever. Yea, that happiness which is prepared for the saints. In uh, verse 46, let's see, no, let's go on to um, verse 51. He says, Wherefore do not spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. In life, how often do people spend money and waste money on things that's really not necessary or not beneficial to mankind? And, you know, how much time do you spend laboring in things they cannot satisfy you know lots of people waste a lot of time now you know on uh, you know different social media or or other things in which they're just looking at people's lives seeing their uh, pictures of vacations and and their uh, worldly possessions you know uh, how much time do you devote to the savior how much time do you devote to studying the words of god and then he says here in verse 52 behold my beloved brother remember the words of your god Pray unto him continually by day, and give thanks to his holy name by night. Let your hearts rejoice, you know, rejoice, you know, by studying the scriptures. You can rejoice in the words of Christ. And uh, pray unto him continually by day. We should always be offering up prayers to, uh, to God. And th we should always be very thankful in our prayers. Uh, for all the wonderful things that he's uh, done for us. For he owe, we owe him our entire existence. We would not have come into existence had it not been uh, for, for God. He's the one that created our spirits. Then he created our earthly bodies for our spirits to then um, inhabit. Okay, so now uh, let's now look at chapter 10. This will be our last chapter today. And there's some good things here too. And chapter 10, verse 3. Wherefore, as I said unto you, it must needs be expedient that Christ. So an angel in the last night, in the night before, revealed to Jacob that his name shall be called Christ. Which is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. He said, should come among the Jews, among those who are the more wicked part of the world. And they shall crucify him. So once again, a prophecy of scripture that Jesus would come to the Jewish people and they would crucify him. For thus it behooveth our God, and there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. Now obviously God knew this beforehand, and that's why he sent Jesus to the Jewish people. If, you know, if he had sent him to a righteous people who would have accepted him into their lives and listened to his counsels and would not have crucified him, well, that would have you know, also put an end to this plan of salvation. It was necessary that Jesus come, that Jesus be crucified and, and killed as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world.
In verse 4, For should the mighty miracles be wrought among other nations, they would repent and know that he be their God. But because of priestcrafts, see, in some cases it's not the people themselves who were at fault. Even Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But because of the leadership, these priestcrafts and iniquities, they at Jerusalem will stiffen their necks against him that he be crucified. The people led him astray. The people led the Jewish people to, to uh, reject Jesus in their lives. And because of that, in verse 6, uh, there should be the destructions, famines, pestilences, bloodshed. They shall be scattered among all nations. In verse 7, But behold, thus saith the Lord God, when the day cometh that they shall believe in me, that I am Christ, then have I covenant with their fathers that they shall be restored in the flesh upon the earth and unto the lands of their inheritance. And, if it, and it shall come to pass that they shall be gathered in from their long dispersion, you know, from all the nations of the earth, the Gentiles uh, led by the United States and Great Britain uh, will bring forth the money to help them go back to their lands. Okay, now let's look at verse uh, 18. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, thus saith our God, I will afflict thy seed. So, now I'm talking about the future Nephite uh, descendants who survive uh, the great battle in the uh, 5th century. Uh, when the Nephite civilization is wiped out, the, these are the descendants. I will afflict thy seed by the hand of the Gentiles. When the Gentiles come over, they will push the natives, you know, you know, push them around, you know, and then ultimately we, you know, they gave them the, uh, the Indian reservations and, and things like that. Uh, I will soften the hearts of the Gentiles that they shall be likened to a father to them, and they become a father to them. Wherefore the Gentiles shall be blessed and numbered among the house of Israel. So they, uh, wherefore I will consecrate this land unto thy seed, the Nephite uh, seed, and um, and them who shall be numbered among thy seed forever, for the land of their inheritance. For this, the United States of America, America is a choice land, saith God unto me, above all other lands. Wherefore I will have all men that dwell thereon that they shall worship me, saith God, because the Americas is a choice land. God desires that those who dwell thereon uh, shall worship him. Uh, let's look now at verse 22. For behold, the Lord God has led away from time to time. We looked at this in a prior week as well. The, from time to time he led other people away. Not just the Nephites and the Lamanites and the Mulekites, uh, you know, and the Jaredites, but other people also. He led them to America according to his will and pleasure. And now, behold, the Lord remembereth all them who have been broken off, whereof he remembereth us also. Therefore, cheer up your hearts. There's always to be, God, uh, Jesus said, Be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world, right? Uh, be of good cheer, and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves. You know, we have free agency. Uh, this was the plan that was fought by Satan. Uh, God desired to give everyone free agency, to decide for themselves, to choose. You have two choices. The way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil in the flesh. And remember, after you are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Now, I should read this here again because there's false pastors, false teachers who claim to be uh, teachers of Christ, but they say false things about the church of Jesus Christ. They will say that the Church of Jesus Christ does not believe in grace. I'll repeat. Some of these false pastors and the teachers of religion will say that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do not believe in grace. So let's read it again. That it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Okay? There's no, there's no question about it, right? So don't say false things about the church. Don't say that the church does not believe in grace. It's very clear here. 2 Nephi 10, 24. That it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Verse 25. And we're going to get it here again. Wherefore may God raise you from death by the power of the resurrection. And also from everlasting death by the power of the atonement. That ye may be received unto the, into the eternal kingdom of God. And that ye may praise him through 
grace divine. Amen, right? So twice now in chapter in 2 Nephi chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 we're told that it's through grace uh, the grace of God that we are saved. Uh, we may praise him through grace divine. So we are saved by grace. So these false teachers who claim that the church does not believe in grace are simply not telling you the truth. And I testify it's been a great day again. I know the Book of Mormon, it will really stir up the, you know, shake the foundations of hell from time to time. It makes Satan and his kingdom very upset as they testify against their wickedness and they testify against the wickedness of the people who choose to follow Satan and his plan and his angels rather than God and be saved through grace as it says here in the Book of Mormon. And so it's been a great week. I appreciate you joining with us. I pray that Heavenly Father will bless you and your families. I want you to know how much I love you. Uh, even though some of you may be offended at some of the things we're reading here. Keep in mind, it's not, it's not Dr. Harrison saying this, right? Dr. Harrison didn't say any of this. This is coming out of the Book of Mormon. I'm just reading and just telling you what the Book of Mormon says. And you have the decision to make in your life. Whether you're going to accept Jesus Christ or not. Whether you're going to choose the plan of happiness or the way of misery. And it's very clear in the Book of Mormon. And that's what they talk about here. And that He will bless you. And I testify to you that Heavenly Father will bless you with joy and happiness as you keep His commandments and choose to follow Him. And if you don't, you will be miserable because you will know in your hearts and in your soul that the way that you're conducting your life is totally opposite to the way God would have you live your lives and therefore you are not entitled to, and you're not entitled to peace and joy in this life and you're not entitled to eternal life in the world to come and I pray that you will find the strength to accept God to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to keep his commandments be of good service unto your fellow men Teach them the pleasing things of God and the things of the kingdom of God. Help them find their way back to the Heavenly Father's presence. And I testify that Heavenly Father lives. He is our Father. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He prepared Him from the foundation of the world to come forth in the own due time of the Lord to rescue mankind from the fall of Adam and Eve. And I testify that Jesus was this promised Messiah slain from the foundation of the world. He came forth to the earth preaching and teaching the things of his Father. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He healed and cured the blind and the lame. He cured and healed the lepers. He, killed, he cured all manner of, of infirmities. And he healed people spiritually that were spiritually dead in his day. And as he taught them the things of the kingdom of God and the things of his Father in heaven. And, I, and it brought people the peace and joy, those who accepted his gospel and followed him. And the, uh, as a result of this, the devil got angry. And he rose up evil men to crucify him. This was all according to the scriptures that he would come forth that he would be crucified, that he would be scourged, but that through his death and atonement, all mankind can repent of our sins and return to our Father in heaven's presence. I testify that Jesus rose from the dead. He showed his hands in his body to his apostles in the upper room. Following his death and resurrection, he said, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see, that I have. That's directly out of St. Luke 24, 15. Read it in your own Bibles. Those of you who are not members of the church, read it in your own Bible. The words might be, the translation might be slightly different, but it's going to tell you that. He rose from the dead. He has a body of flesh and bones. And I testify that he really did raise from the dead and that he is our Lord and Savior. I testify that he will soon come back in the clouds of glory as all the holy prophets have declared. To proclaim that his work is done. That he is now reigning as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And that he is our Savior. And I love, I can't wait to see that day. Uh, whether I'm in the spirit world or whether I'm here on the earth still. When he comes back, I, love to, I will love to see the day when he comes back. And to reign as the promised Messiah and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I testify of him. 
And I testify that the way of happiness is before you, that by keeping the commandments of God, we will go forward and be happy and joyful in this life. That's the promise, that you will find joy and peace. You'll have afflictions for a moment. The afflictions mold you into the character of Jesus Christ. But if we go through those afflictions, knowing and trusting Heavenly Father, we'll become better people. We will conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And I testify that Joseph Smith was a prophet of the living God, that through him he restored the, to the earth from the dust in fulfillment of the Isaiah 29.4, the words of the Book of Mormon. I testified Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, that he restored the church to the earth. And I testified that we are currently led by current living prophets, seers and revelators. Our current prophet's name is Russell M. Nelson. For those of you who've never heard of Russell M. as in Michael Nelson, I ask you to study and research him on the internet. Read his recent addresses in his talks, that, in his sermons that he gives. Pray and ask Heavenly Father if he be a prophet of God. I promise you God will answer that prayer. He will answer the truth and manifest all things, the truth of all things unto you, if you will humble yourselves before him and ask him in prayer. And I love you. Thank you for joining us this week. May God bless you this next week. Uh, make sure that you continue to uh, let people know about this channel. Subscribe. Uh, if you need to repeat these lessons, go ahead and repeat these lessons as many times as you, as you need to until you comprehend these things because it's going to give you the happiness and knowledge. By having the knowledge of God's plan, you're going to have that happiness and joy to understand why you're here on the earth. Can you imagine going through your life not understanding what the purpose of earth life, uh, the purpose of life is, why you're here, where you came from, where you're going? Without those things, how can you truly be happy? So let's study these things and and understand these the great words of the scriptures. And I, this will greatly bless you with joy and happiness. And I promise you these things. And those of you who need to uh, come back to Jesus, again, I promise you in His name. That if you will just humble yourselves before him, repent of your sins, he will greatly bless you and you will be happy and you'll be restored to full fellowship in his kingdom. I testify of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.